0: Welcome to the Trap House. Wait, 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 wait. It's not the Trap House. Yeah, I know. It is the Animal Control Report with your hosts.
1: Ashley Bishop.
0: And Daniel Ettinger. you know why I called it the Trap House?
1: Um, Because we're going to be talking about trapping cats. We're
0: going to be talking about some TNR again. I love the, this topic. I know this topic uh, in our industry is received on all different languages. That's not the right word I'm looking for, but you know what I'm saying. So uh, people Netflix. don't... Yeah, just people, you know, some animal control officers don't love it. Some animal control officers do. Uh, and so it's, it's just a great topic. And like when we look at data and studies, uh, when we break it down in a little bit, we will um, we'll see why it's good. So before we do that, check out our website, keepithumane.com. Please enter discount code AC report for 10% off of your lovely order. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, at the animal control report and uh, don't forget to like share and rate the podcast
1: what have you been up to
0: moving we'll save that for another episode people don't want to they don't want to hear about my trap and release (laughs) Uh, not yet
1: oh god please don't let you be released we're we are in trouble if you ever get
0: released (laughs) well you know what i mean like it's important (laughs) that we have that you know i i uh Yeah, it's been busy. Uh, Things things are a lot different, but it's good different. So I can't complain. How about you? What you been up to?
1: I I had a tough one. I had a tough case. I'm I'm working through it, but uh, I've got I can't go into much detail, but I'll I'll say that it was a felony case that resulted in an animal that. For the betterment of the animal, they had to be euthanized. And it took several weeks for us to get approval for that.
0: That's horrible.
1: Um, and I was there for this animal getting put down. And they, they were showing affection up until the absolute bitter end. Mm. And... I don't know. I mean, we all know that there's, you get those cases. You can have the same kind of case over and over again, and then you just get that one. You get that one that hits yeah. hard. Um, This one definitely hit me hard. So, but I gonna mean, work towards getting justice for that poor baby, and that's all I can do.
0: You know, we talked about it last week. Uh, you were unable to join us, but just the idea or concept about um, sometimes the victory is within just getting the animal out of the bad situation. Uh, And that was on the, I'm sorry, that was on the Animal Welfare Junction hosted by Dr. G. Uh, That's why you weren't able to join us because it was not, it it wasn't a combined (laughs) podcast. (laughs) All these podcasts. Don't forget to check that podcast out. That's a great podcast. The Animal Welfare Junction hosted by Dr. G. Yeah. And, uh, but that sometimes is the, that sometimes the best way is like, all right, though, I want justice in a way of like, maybe this person can't own animals again, or, you know what I mean? Like things mm-hmm. like that. But at the end of the day, it's like, Oh, at least we got the animal out of a bad situation. Cause if you didn't think how much longer that animal yeah. would have suffered.
1: And unfortunately like part of it is hit me. Cause it's like how long this animal already had suffered. Um, and it was, a young animal, six to seven months old and probably spent half of its life being with this person that was not treating it well. Um, And so that was majority of what it knew.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: But yeah, I'm, I'm working with the ASPCA on that one. We're going to be sending down for a forensic necropsy. I've already got a fantastic medical exam, um, report done from the medical report that was done up here. So, um, let me tell you, I have enough already for felony.
0: Good for you. And for new listeners, those that may not have listened in, listened in in the past. We have a whole episode on that ASPCA forensic lab in Florida. And uh, there's no cost to you other than the packing mm-hmm. materials, not shipping. They cover shipping, but the packing materials itself. So the box and or the ice packs, et cetera. So check it out. If you have questions and don't want to go back and listen to episode, it was like 70, it's like a hundred episodes ago. But uh, <laughs> if, if you don't just shoot us a message and we'll be happy to give you the information needed to utilize that that yeah. service because it's a great service for animal law enforcement. Animal welfare. I've used
1: office. them several times since that episode. It's been fantastic. I've got, you know, really good relationship with them now. So
0: yeah, when they see yeah. her email, they're like, ah, "Yep, Ashley <laughs> again." Message.
1: Yep, my text messages. Yep,
0: <laughs> all that. Well, let's jump into the show. We got a great guest joining us, and I want to make sure we get that rolling.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We have
0: yeah Brian Cordis who. Uh, is joining us all the way from Hawaii. Lucky him. He is the National Programs Director for Neighborhood Cats. Brian, thank you for joining us today. Welcome.
2: Well, thank you so much for, for having me. It's a great show and I'm honored to be here. Thank you. What island are you on? I'm on Maui. Oh, wow. Or as we like to call it, (laughs) meowy.
0: Wow. Wow. That might be the title of this, uh, (laughs) this episode. Wow. That's great. Um, Brian, so for our listeners that may not know your name, can you just give some history on, on, you know, kind of how you got involved with neighborhood, neighborhood cats, what you did, you know, what you did before, et cetera.
2: Um, sure, sure. I, I was, uh, an attorney, um, living on the uh, upper west side of manhattan when i first got involved with uh, free roaming cats and my history was i really had very little to do with animal welfare other than helping out a rescue group now and then with uh, getting a cat out of a bad situation in a bodega or grace grocery store something like that sure but there was uh i was walking past an empty lot one of the few on the upper west side uh one afternoon and i saw um, a kitten playing in the grass. And so I immediately thought, well, uh, you know, this kitten needs a home. I have some animal welfare friends, uh, they can take care of it. You know, I was feeling pretty good about myself. Then I saw two more and I thought, mm, this is going to be a little harder than I thought, but you know, still manageable. And then I saw two more <laughs> and I had this total sinking feeling that my life was about to change. And, um, I was right because it turned out there were 30 cats in this location, uh, in the inner courtyards of this block. So, um, I wasn't going to walk away from it. And, and I ran into a couple of other neighbors who discovered the situation and we, um, tried to, uh, figure out what we're going to do. I like to say I did what any good citizen would do, which is I tried to find somebody else to take care of the problem for me. (laughs) Um, but, uh the shelters were all full. Um, animal control was, uh, basically all they said was, well, if you want to trap them and bring them in, they're going to end up most likely if they're feral, they're going to end up being euthanized. And that was it. You know, there was nothing, um, to do with for these cats. And then somebody mentioned, uh, this thing called trap neuter return that I'd never heard of. So, um, really left with nothing else to do that's that's what we tried and we we got caught all the cats we found homes for the kittens we eventually got all the adults fixed and it turned out to be a very successful um uh, project so we got the population down and the neighbors stopped complaining about you know the screaming in the middle of the night and um it it went so well that uh, it turned out there were colonies of cats behind um in almost every block on the Upper West Side. So the next block over wanted us to do it, so we did it there. And then we went and worked in the park, in Riverside Park, um, which is the big park on the Upper West Side. And uh, we fixed about 65 cats there. And eventually the population went down to to one. And Mm -hmm. we just ended up working all over the Upper West Side because that's where we lived. And uh, just by word of mouth. And then we went to to the um, Animal Care and Control uh, agency for New York City, which is Animal Care Centers of NYC now, and you know said, hey, would you be interested in, in getting behind this? And they went and looked at their data, and the zip codes we had been working in had uh, like a, about a 75% drop in stray cat intake over the last couple of years compared to the rest of the city, which had been even. So they got on board a, in a big way. And, you know, honestly, ever since then, the, the, the work I've been doing with the cats just has kept growing and it, it became citywide and then it became um, more national. And now we work, uh, as consultants, um, all over the world, actually with, with these programs.
1: That's awesome.
0: So, so it works. It works. Like you're saying what I heard from just the sample size in New York city, that numbers were decreasing because of the tnr
2: yeah i i think you always have to be careful when when we make statements like does tnr work or tnr does not work because uh, first of all what do we mean by work right um it it really depends on what kind of stakeholder you are if you're a, a shelter work means you've got a lot fewer cats coming in your euthanasia your euthanasia rate is going down um if you're a city official maybe work means there's a lot fewer complaint calls coming in. Um, If you're somebody like me and you're doing programs on a community-wide basis, or if you're a wildlife conservationist, you know, works means there's actually fewer cats in the environment. Um, If you're a public health official, then having a lot more free-roaming cats vaccinated would be what works. Mm -hmm. So we have to be very careful how we define that term. And then, of course, we always have to be cognizant, and I know know you guys are aware of this, you know, TNR is not like some magic phrase that you say and your cat situation's resolved. It, it has to be done properly. It has to be done well. Um, but if you define your goals well and you and you implement a TNR program in a competent way, uh, there's a there's a very good chance that you'll you you will meet your goals.
1: I want to talk about the. People who don't want to have the cats around, they they are—they just want them gone. They want you to come pick them up. They want them to go to the shelter. They don't care what really happens to them. They want them out of the area, out of their yards, not defecating and urinating on their properties. How do you handle them? Because let me tell you, I swear every year I keep getting a different hot spot of these people where, cause we don't, um, the city allows for TNR, but they put it on, um, the community to do it themselves. I don't get involved with it. So I get the complaints of, well, this cat's still coming on my property. Okay. But you know, it's tnr in your area. How do you handle that?
2: Well, there's there's a couple of ways that you handle that you know there's the ground level right which is um if unless somebody's got a large estate it's not that hard to keep cats off of someone's property if they just have an average sized backyard and i realize there are people who are going to just say no i won't put a motion activated sprinkler in the back you know i just want them to be gone you're going to get certain people who are intransigent so First of all, it's knowing that in most cases, um, or ultrasonic uh, motion detectors, which emit a sound that is irritating to cats, so there are solutions, there are ways to keep cats off of someone's property. That's the ground level. On the on the community level, it's it. I don't think it's ever a good idea to make government policy based on an anecdotal basis. Um, in other words, you know we don't allow people to choose whether or not they're going to pay their taxes, right? Mm -hmm. Um, We don't just let people choose what speed limit works for them. So you have to look at the community as a whole and have a consistent policy about, okay, how are you, if you're in a free roaming cat overpopulation situation, uh, which could be just, you've got intact cats running around loose, how are you going to manage that? And if the community as a whole the policy is uh, spay neuter we're going to um, attack the problem by reducing reproductive capacity and uh, through tnr then you're going to get to your goals whatever they may be whether it's fewer complaints or fewer cats you're going to get there a lot faster if that policy is uniformly applied across the board and you're not going to please everyone Mm -hmm. but you, you never can. So if you, uh, go towards the person who's complaining the most, the squeaky wheel, and you, and you grease that wheel, well, then the people who were feeding the cats and the people who liked the cats being around, or the people who relied on them for rodent control or companionship or whatever it might be, they're going to be unhappy. So it's very hard to have a government policy that pleases everyone. And you have to kind of choose which way you're going to go. If you, if you, kind of blow with the wind, then you're going to have an, you're going to have inconsistent results and constantly have to be dealing with these anecdotal situations. So I think if the community needs to make a decision that we're going with spay neuter as our solution, if you don't want cats on your property, here's how you can keep them off. If you don't want to do that, then tough, you're on your own.
1: Okay. What is the percentage of cats that have to be brought in and sterilized to reduce the overall numbers. I mean, obviously, ideally 100% of them, but let's be honest, some cats can't be caught.
2: Yeah, I mean, well, it, there's very, there are, you know, I would say it takes a lot of effort to catch every cat for sure. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while you get one that, um, yeah, it's, it's just impossible. So there, there is no magic number. What we train people is to catch um, within a group. What we we define a colony of cats as cats that share a common food source and a common territory. So within that group, you want to try to get as close to a hundred percent as possible. Um, you know, there's been numbers thrown around like seventy percent, eighty percent, but it's it, it's very arbitrary to draw that line. Um, the closer you can get to a hundred, the better your chances are that. Um, attrition is going to outpace reproduction. And that's just on, on the individual colony level. Now, if you only focus on the individual colonies, and this goes back to the kind of community-wide policy, if you just do one group of cats, as that group goes down in size, there's always the potential for surrounding groups of cats to start migrating in and um, re, you know taking care, advantage of whatever resources are there in terms of food and shelter. So the best way to reduce a cat population is to target areas of a community and not in just individual colonies. So you might start with um, a housing complex and, and TNR as many of the cats in there as you can, and then go to the adjoining block and then um, continue outwards in a kind of concentric circle. And the larger you can get an area, where the colonies of cats are mostly or all um, TNR'd, the greater your chances of um, population reduction and it's gonna happen a lot faster. So that's what we call targeting. Um, There's colony level targeting where you're trying to get as close to 100% of the cats in a group um, spayed and neutered. And then there's community level targeting where you're picking out a section of the community, like say downtown and you're trying to get as close to a hundred percent of the colonies
0: spayed and neutered as you can
1: dan
0: oh i can hear you thinking though no i'm here oh. i'm just okay. i love how you uh there's like a there, there's an algorithm to your thought process and i hear it i do have some 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 thoughts though brian and i guess like oh, in the aspect of these colonies there was um uh those are familiar with Nathan is it Wintergrad Winterguard Winter something Winagrad, yeah he's a, isn't he also an attorney I believe he is yeah uh he talked about cats that were i think on like the Stanford school grounds or something like that and how it was that's kind of how it started in his eyes with the the TNR and the no kill movement in that aspect do we do we succession plan and what i mean by that is though this is a great idea for the now. And I I totally agree with that. Like trying to reduce the population. We don't want cats in the same way as you probably experienced rats in New York city. Do we succession plan for the fact of like, at some point, and maybe I'm full of it, but at some point we'll run out of cats or run out of dogs. Like we, we neuter and spay everything. But is that, is there a thought process beyond like okay, in fifty years from now, maybe we shouldn't be spaying and neutering or offering different resources for responsible breeders because we want domestic short hair cats or we want a certain type of cat? Like, what is your take on that?
2: Well, you know, in some parts of the country, you know, prior to the the veterinary shortage and the, and the um, spay neuter capacity being being greatly reduced in some areas, we did have parts of the country that had kitten shortages, um, namely the northwest and the north uh, New England. Yeah, and um, that started to change the calculation about how to apply spay neuter. And for example, uh, pregnant cats, uh, like if you're in an area with high cat overpopulation, we will spay abort pregnant cats if the veterinarian is comfortable doing it. Sure, but but in New England, where they had a shortage, well, th- then they might reasonably let the cat come to term. Um, because if you don't, if the animal welfare community does not have a supply of kittens, then you start to have backyard breeders. And um, gee, they, they were charging $350 adoption fees at the shelters in uh, some of the shelters in Massachusetts uh, because there was such a shortage. And then that led to transport from areas of the, country where there were, you know, there had been a lot of dog transport, uh, going on in the country from the South to the North. And that started to grow and include cats. So you start to, uh, here in Hawaii, there are still active programs where we fly cats to the Northwest because they have a shortage and we have an abundance, you know, until the whole world runs out of animals.
0: Yeah.
2: I think, um, it's there. That's a solvable. It's a real problem. Uh, and you have to think about it because again, otherwise you're going to give rise to a backyard breeding industry and all the ills and problems that come with that. Yeah. The unregulated
0: Um, who pays for these transfers, uh, out of state,
2: uh, there, there are grants from certain foundations and then also, um, the shelters, you know, raise their own funds and some rescue groups, uh, actually a rescue group here in Maui, I think got some money from the county government to uh do some of this kind of relocation
0: okay very cool what what's your take so you said you listened to the episode with uh, community cats stacy lebaron the community cats podcast be sure to check them out too anywhere you download podcasts she has some great stuff i brought it up somewhat in a joking manner but i also bring it up in some aspects of truth like you know, there's that movement of save them all. There's the, you know, let's make sure we don't euthanize more than 10% of our population. And our shelters are, you know, becoming full and they'll be full, obviously, with the 4th of July weekend in the summer and all that stuff that that happens kind of chronologically. There's a word for that when it's a calendar thing. I'm not going to Yeah, that's great annually. Thank you. And this is why we keep you around. Uh, A lot more reasons too.
1: I was going to say, come on now.
0: But like the aspect of, we understand the public safety risk from animals, like dogs specifically, being able to attack people, right? Cats are typically personality wise, more shy. They're not forwardly aggressive in the aspect that we know dogs to be. But in all seriousness, Brian, like why aren't we? TNRing dogs in this country if we want to make more space in the shelters and we want to make that live release rate higher?
2: Well, I think, I think TNR of dogs is appropriate in, in the right circumstances. And so for example, uh, India as, as a country, Mm -hmm. um, there's, uh, at, at least if you go back, um, maybe five to 10 years, their street dog, uh, population, uh, uh, crisis was similar to our cat overpopulation crisis okay. in other words they, their cities um and a lot of them still are are full of stray dogs and um it was a real rabies issue um, a lot of the, the incidence of rabies is much higher in india because of all the street dogs and so uh, actually the, the problem was attacked from a public health point of view and they decided to uh, they started this program called the animal birth control program where they basically did TNR of dogs. And they picked one uh, section of the city of Jaipur. And over the course of eight years, they sterilized about 20,000 street dogs and uh, 18 to 19,000 of them were female. So they targeted the female uh, dogs and they reduced the incidence of rabies to zero. And they had the, um, dog population as a whole they calculated went down by about a quarter so that was a great situation to to be doing tnr of dogs and it's um a growing program in countries that have severe dog a street dog overpopulation so i think in parts of the united states where that is what's happening so you get onto native american reservations for example or maybe, um, there are, de- there are, um, poor sections of some, uh, cities like St. Louis or, mm. or some of the cities, uh, in, um, Mexican, Dallas, yeah. where uh, that may be your best option. Like, you know, I, well, I, Detroit
0: I, already has that problem, right? They have tons right. of stray dogs running around. So why not right. just say let's TNR them and keep it moving?
2: Yeah. Well, the thing is that obviously there's more of a public health risk with a pack of dogs.
0: Right. Because of the physical. Yeah. They can kill you. Yeah, right? absolutely. They can kill you. Yeah,
2: absolutely. So it would be better not to have packs of street dogs, but there, it, it's like with the cats, there's only so long you can continue to say, well, they shouldn't be there. Right. <laughs> Cause that doesn't really solve your problem thinking that they shouldn't be there. So if, if the traditional animal control approaches to street dogs are not working, because the resources aren't there or there's just too many of them at this point. And you're either looking at maintaining the status quo, which is really no good to have intact dog packs roaming around or TNRing them,
0: then I think TNR would be appropriate Tomahawk Live Trap has been manufacturing humane animal capture and handling equipment since 1925. They work directly with animal control officers around the world to develop and improve their products so that they're as safe and efficient as possible. Save 10% on your next order by using discount code DCACREPORT. Visit them online at www.livetrap.com or call them at 1-800-272-8727. I'm curious if we'll see more and more of that in the future. Truthfully, I... I, I joke, but I also, there's some truth to jokes. And I, I, I don't know. I, I Bishop, you never really chimed in on this. Um, And I I want your take, like as someone who, you know, you have a background with the vet tech world, but you also obviously have the humane officer background. Like, how would you feel if like, let's say it was the city of Detroit and we've had uh, Mark Kumpf, who is the animal control director, animal shelter director there uh, on the show several, several, several episodes ago, but like, imagine instead of their shelter being full like they, like they are that it is now the street dogs that are already there in Detroit. They're just being TNR.
1: I'm going to fall back to my, I mean, I'm not, I've, I'm coming around to the TNRing of cats. I, I don't, I don't care for the, TNRing of dogs. I really just don't. I, because of the public health and safety aspect of it.
0: Sure. No, I Um,
1: it. more so because you get a pack of dogs together that, you know, if they get aggressive and they're together, they, they can do so much more damage and are more willing to it, you. Brian mentioned it earlier. Maybe it was you, Dan. Honestly, I don't even know. What <laughs> have you mentioned about how um, you know cats tend to be a little bit more on the shy side, um, or was me. at least okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> willing to to run from somebody now. Yeah. saying that, I literally just this week declared a cat dangerous because it outright would attack the U, um, the USPS worker. But, um, and chase him down the uh, driveway. But a cat bite, although bad because of the um, bacteria in the mouth, yeah. a, a dog bite can be so much more serious because they can just ultimately do more damage physically.
0: I mean, you know, people... Uh, approximately 40 people a year in the United States die from a dog attack. Right.
1: Yeah. And I think that we would see that go up,
0: honestly. Oh, I I, absolutely. And I, though I, again, no, I joke, I don't know. Maybe, maybe in the future that that happens. I don't know. I'm like, well, like Brian said, it does work in some areas.
2: I think, I think it's really a matter of as, as realistically as possible, assessing what your options are. So if you're on a Native American reservation sure. and for the last twenty years you've got packs of dogs roaming around and, and occasionally some kid getting killed. And your option is to just occasionally, you know, pull one of them out or try to cull them, but they just the population bounces right back. So you can continue with what you've been doing, or you could spay and neuter them, which will to at least some extent reduce their regression. And more importantly, start to prevent future populations and have the numbers dropping. If those are your only two options, which are you going to choose? That's, that's what I mean, if you have the option, you know, like Ashley is saying, you know, of removing the dogs and preventing the packs. Yeah, that may be the better choice, but there are situations in this country where that is not an option.
0: And you think about the current movement with medicating dogs. That's a big thing too, in our country in shelter settings right so you know in why wouldn't that be an option some of these feed stations where we're medicating dogs for behavioral issues now granted that's not a 100% foolproof foolproof thing right but at the same time it's it's something that as we continue to move forward could potentially be an answer I I want to switch gears a little bit and I think that's a fun topic and we could probably spend all day just (laughs) is it capitulating is that a word
1: so that's
2: surrendering. So we could surrender to it. Yeah.
0: Oh, dang it. Well, yeah, let's go this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I just, I just say you words that sound good. Okay. It's great. <laughs> Brian, I want to talk about how neighborhood cats can help animal control officers throughout the country. Like, is this something that is on a large scale? Can we reach, reach out? Um, what, what options, what is there to, to assist if somebody is just starting a program or needs assistance with, you know, keeping their program up to date. Like what does the neighborhood cats offer in that aspect?
2: Well, we have, we have, uh, in conjunction with the community cats podcast, which is community cats, podcast.com. Um, we have a number of, uh, webinars and, and, uh, educational series this year. We started one on practicing trap new to return on a community level. So we have a basic series on like, uh, uh, there's, there's a TNR certification workshop where you can get uh, NACA, National Animal Care and Control Association. You can get continuing education credit for that if you're an ACO. Uh, and that's just a basic, how do you, how do you TNR a, a colony of cats? Uh, then we have specialized series on using drop traps and advanced trapping and colony care. And this year we have a series on How do you mobilize the public to get behind this? How do you um, run a return to field program? How do you do targeting? So all the kind of um, educational material somebody might need is is available. On an individual basis, um, anybody, any ACO or or, um, somebody working on a community level is welcome to contact me, um, Brian, B-R-Y-A-N, at neighborhoodcats.org. I'm happy to consult, um, do a special presentation, just work with, talk to you about basic strategy and um, just kind of be able to relay the experience of other communities and, and try to find what would you know might work for you.
0: And we can list your email also in the show notes just so it's easier. And so sure. someone driving their truck right now, driving and writing it down. Though no, they probably do that with all their calls for service. So it's... Not too hard for them, but uh, we'll still throw it in there. Yeah. Again, I would it's Brian, say, hey, you know, Brian at neighborhoodcats dot org. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. I was going to say that you know one of the big things that's changed. I started doing this work in uh, nineteen ninety nine, so you know well over twenty years ago, and one of the big changes I've seen has been um, animal control, because uh, when when I first started, it, it you know the field was predominantly in the mentality of um, you know we stray, stray cats should be taken off the street and um, there was a lot of resistance to TNR and um, I understood that that that's where the training that's what some of the laws you know required as well but I, it, it's changed it's evolved over time um, because th- that that approach was not working we wouldn't be here today talking about cat overpopulation if removing stray cats was a, was a successful approach on a, on a national level. So now, um, like here in Maui, I see, I see the, um, the animal control officers and, and they're, they're younger and they're uh, more familiar with the concept of TNR and, and they go out and do it themselves. They bring in, they go out and trap colonies of cats They, they, use TNR as a t- one of their tools when they're approaching a difficult situation. It's now an option for them to resolve it that way. And so I, I just seen tremendous change in the, in the animal control field. And like I say in New York City, our, our first really major partner was, was the city shelter and the animal control um,
0: agency there. That's great. And I think a lot of officers want to come at things with a resourceful type of, you know, uh, option, right? They don't want to just write tickets or just pick up animals and, and euthanize them. And that's, you know, some of the, the issues with our profession are, the, are those stereotypes. So mm-hmm. it's great to have these resources and the availability because uh, I think a lot of officers want that positive interaction with the animal and also want that positive reputation in the community.
2: Yeah, it may be, it may be a whole other podcast, but, you know, it's to me, it's very interesting the uh, the movement within the animal control field. A shift from from law enforcement to community activism, mm. um, and if you're, in other words, instead of writing those tickets or or um, you know basically being an extension of the police department, a lot of agencies are moving towards um, more more of a social work model mm-hmm. and engaging the community and 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 doing problem solving as uh, so, a and and the law enforcement part is. Is kind of the last resort and when you do that what what you come to realize when it comes to cats and we see this in um all sorts of research and and polling and things like that is there's an awful lot of people in this country who are feeding outdoor cats um you know one study in um ohio found like over 20 percent of adults at one point in the last year had fed an outdoor cat um something like five to ten percent of households and a number of other studies were feeding outdoor cats and if you're going to have a successful approach to cat overpopulation you're going to have to engage that community and um trying to remove them and 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 euthanize them is going to cause them to resist or withdraw whereas um if you uh spay neuter and yes we'll bring your cats back we're gonna and we'll train you how to deal with it responsibly engages um feeders and and people who care about the cats um you know much more deeply and there have been a number of um polls done by you know third party independent um polling agencies about what do people prefer if they see a cat outside? Do they prefer the cat stay where um, he or she is or be removed and euthanized or TNR'd? And every poll that's come back, the vast majority of the public would rather the cat stayed alive. Sure. um, Was was spayed, neutered, and lived outside. Uh, So that goes back to that question about, hey, what do you do about the person who just doesn't want the cats around? Well, part of it is realizing that, at least on a national level, it may vary from community to community, but on a national level, public opinion is heavily weighted towards leave the cats alive. So that becomes an easier policy in a way to implement because you have a lot more public support.
0: And that's, I mean, truthfully, uh, no one in our profession is... I would imagine unless it was the B2K killer, like you didn't really want to come to work to just put animals down. For those that don't know, he he was the uh, serial killer that also was an animal control officer along other things in his careers. But when you look at it from the aspect of, I think a lot of animal control officers currently have, Bishop, keep me in line here, please. Mm -hmm. Currently have strong feelings to this movement of save them all. And uh, the idea or the concept that, you know, we're putting animals out in the community that are a danger or a risk. And there's arguments back and forth that that's not what that slogan means, though there is a misrepresentation. And I think when it comes to the TNR movement, and I want to get back on track to that specifically, it's animal control officers realize that with TNR, like that is a great outcome because A, right, we're not overflooding flooding our shelters with cats, B, we're able to get animals spayed and neutered and then vaccinated too. So then that risk, that public safety risk is, is lessened. And then in, in, you know, indefinitely, I think um, just making their jobs easier in that aspect. And, and so uh, I don't know, I think it's an important role and an important, I, I would say another tool in our toolbox that we can, have uh, to help the community and then it's education i think that's the other piece because you do get that neighbor that's like that cat's ruining my screens or it's uh, killing all the baby yeah yeah and then there's resources i know there's there's resources that are humane ways of because you know we keep it humane on this show sorry i had to throw that in there Uh, but there's humane ways to keep those animals away from the garden right uh humane ways to potentially you know keep the birds population safe in that aspect. I mean, uh, I didn't hear people complain about the Minnesota stadium, the football stadium. I don't know if either of you know this, but uh, it has such a vast window on it. It's in a migration pattern for birds Mm -hmm. that they were dropping dead. You heard that. Yeah. But, no, I didn't,
2: I didn't know that. I mean, we have that oh. problem in New York city with, Oh yeah. With birds hitting. Buildings yeah. And, and yeah. yeah.
0: Hitting buildings. And so like, sure, the, the cats can be a problem and and just if you're not a cat person, you're not a cat person. I mean, that's pretty well documented, but then the day, I mean, we, and I'm only speaking for, I guess, animal control officers that I know is we, you know, a, want to help the community the best way that we can and, and be uh, appreciated for that. And, and so, well,
2: you know, Daniel, I'll tell you my favorite animal control officer story Sure. was, um, so I worked as a grants manager for pet smart charities for several years. And I was in charge of the, the TNR grant program. And we came up with a, a program with best friends where, um, we would, uh, best friends would embed a couple of staff at a, at a shelter that had, um, relatively high cat euthanasia Okay. and, and guide implementation of a return to field program where healthy cats coming in that um, could not be adopted either because of the lack of space or temperament were spayed and neutered and returned to their community and then we combined that with because that's all about getting cats out of the shelter alive Hmm. but we also wanted to stop cats from coming in in the first place so we added a targeted tnr element to the program that's what's known as the community cats project and um so at the same time that cats were being returned to field from the shelter specific parts of the community were being um immersed you know with with heavy heavily um done tnr um, lots of lots of cats in specific areas so one of the cities that we um piloted this program on was san antonio And when we looked at the population, it's about, I think it was about a million people. And uh, we looked at our funds and we looked at the, what were, you know, we could predict, estimate where the number of cats and we just didn't have enough money, we felt, to effectively uh, run this program for the entire city. So we split the city in half. And we um, would, uh, and all the funds went to the return to field of cats who came in from these specific, you know, half the zip codes mm-hmm. and the targeted TNR was being done in half the zip codes. So we started the program. We got a couple of months into it, and the animal control officers at the San Antonio shelter started becoming very uncomfortable about the fact that a cat coming in lived or died depending on the origin zip code, mm-hmm. right? Like sure. they understood why we were doing that, but it didn't feel right so completely on their own they went out they got grant funding to pay for the spay neuter of cats coming in who were not from the target zip codes hmm. and then on their own time they drove them back and let them go
0: that's fantastic what year was this
2: 2012
0: okay that's fantastic and and that's what we want to see more and more of and i think embracing these programs i've i hear this all the time and bishop you may May hear this. I know you kind of work solo, but from other animal control officers, especially throughout my time, kind of coming into an industry that um, it was in that transition. It was just moving from like dog catcher to, you know, the more humane type of mentality, if you will. And we would often hear, well, like if you can't afford to pay for vet care for your animal, you don't deserve to have Mm -hmm. an animal. And you still hear that occasionally in our profession. And I think what we're starting to see though is more of an empathetic approach where people are like, you know what? Like, sure. What I, that's, that's the term I always hear is it's not a, what do they say? Uh, It's, it's a privilege, not a
1: requirement.
0: Well, yeah, something like that. And I, I mean, I get their perspective. I'm not denying that. I just think in the general, like grand scheme of things, 60% 60% of households have pets in this country and like pets make, I mean, scientifically make people happier unless you're an asshole and abuse animals. Uh, but outside of that, like, you know, people should have pets and if they have pets, they should have access to care that, you know, is, uh, is easy to, to find and afford. And and though we do have a vet shortage and this is where I challenge these bigger organizations like the HSUS is the best friends, the ASPCAs, is the, uh, Maddie's fund, the, uh, what's the Michelin, Michelin um,
2: or oh, the found animals foundation. Yeah, yeah.
0: them, like everybody that has all this money, like, and we're, and we're out here worrying about, you know, the future of the veterinary services in this country, start putting together grant, not grant scholarships for, for people in high school and, or, or wherever, maybe they're in grad school and they, they want to, you know, pivot and become a veterinarian, like make it possible, make it easier. Right, put your money where your mouth is in that aspect, and I think um, there'll be more support. So, those are the things that I look at in in the aspect of like how do we build our future of animal welfare. I uh, we had Ernest Freeberg on several episodes ago who talked about Henry Berg and the movement of animal welfare in this in this country. It's a great book. It's called um, I'm into it now. A couple you know, a couple weeks into it, uh, it's a big book, and I don't read as fast as some of you, so don't judge me but a traitor to his species. And when you look at the the book and the aspect of Henry Berg didn't get involved with animal welfare until he was 53. So like, just because we feel like certain things are established and operating in a good way, doesn't mean we can't influence change. And so again, you know, those, those organizations that have that surplus, that, that ability to offer scholarships and maybe they, you know, work with certain universities to offer these scholarships, and you know just create programs where where then then it comes back to animal shelters being able to be more resources in the community that was one thing before i left denver in 2021 you know i i was always asking like when are we going to open up to the public to offer low cost spay and neuter services and veterinarian at the time was like, it's just not something we're built for. We're not built for that. And it sounds like now, two years later, they're, they're starting to do that, which is great. Right. And so, uh, you know, creating a, an environment where you can do that, having mobile spay and neuter clinics, like reaching the community where the community ne- needs reached is what's to me what's super important. And so uh, the TNR aspect is great. And as we can expand on that in the future, that's, that's our goal. Uh, you know, I don't want to speak for you, Bishop, but as the, the podcast kind of, continues to evolve. Like our goal is to help create a better image for our profession, but also bring, you know, bring things to the, to the forefront that need to be addressed.
2: Well, you know, the, the great thing about, I think about animal control officers is that the opportunity is immense because so many people who work with animals and and are really committed and passionate, they're they're volunteers. Hmm. You know, they, they do it as they can um, they do it with their own resources. Um, ACOs, for the most part, are professionals, you know, and are paid, and 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 it's a full time gig for most, I imagine. And so there's just a great opportunity to influence the direction of the whole field. And um, you know, the things that you're talking about is um, kind of reflective of that. So if ACOs as a field want to move things in what is the at, you know, considered a humane, um, direction, uh, you can do that.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. And that's what we're looking forward to doing. So we really appreciate your insight. Is there anything we, we maybe jumped over or, or didn't get a chance to talk about that you want to make sure our listeners, uh, hear?
2: Um, yeah, maybe I just want to, you know, if it's okay, reemphasize the point about, you know don't, don't get stuck in the argument about does tnr work or does it not work you know understand that it's it, we're talking about sterilizing animals and if you if you um, do it effectively and you do it with enough intensity um, you're, you're going to get the results you want and there's um, a lot of resources out there at neighborhoodcats.org and the communitycatspodcast.com on uh, learning how to do that and that's, that's our mission at Neighborhood Kansas to help you do that. So you can always shoot me an email and, um, you know, I may not know everything you need to know, but whatever, whatever I do know, I'm, we're happy to share.
0: Perfect. Well, we awesome. really appreciate you taking the time to come on. Uh, we've got some great, great guests recently from great areas of the, of the world, American Samoa or Samoa. How did she say it? Samoa. Sa- Samoa. Wow. Samoa uh hawaii uh we had uh who else do we have that was in a great location i mean i'm in california now so that's cool not so bad not so bad <laughs> bishop you're just it's probably like 43 degrees right now
1: oh my god no it's hot up here and raining uh, that's great humid.
0: well we appreciate you taking the time where you where you could be like in your lanai isn't that a thing out there <laughs> it uh, is chilling so you're a friend of the show you're always welcome to come back if you have updates you want to talk about or if oh, you just thank need you. us to pass pass along information to our listeners we're happy to do that uh we really want to just create a community where you know we're continuing to push the betterment of our, of our communities through you know educating people and, and helping animals so thank you so much for your time oh yes. thank you for thank having you. me you bet Well, don't forget to check out our website, KeepItHumane.com. Use discount code ACReport for 10% off of your order. Like, share, rate the podcast. And Bishop, what do we say?
1: Let's keep it
0: humane. Humane. Hey make sure you check out our website keepithumane.com we have a upcoming virtual verbal de escalation training and it's only $25 so sign up now make sure you get in there it's going to be on july 27th and all the times are listed on the website go please go to www.keepithumane.com for more information hope to see you there thanks